Well, welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Menashe. On today's show, we're dissecting the latest half-point interest rate increase announced Wednesday by Jerome Powell, Chair of the Federal Reserve. We become conditioned to believe that the Fed, acting as the central bank for the world's reserve currency, holds disproportionate power in the monetary system, and indeed the entire global financial system. Printing of money is inflationary, and the banks themselves print a lot of money. In many ways, the private sector prints more money than the Fed. That supply of money is actually the cause of inflation. So the question is whether interest rates alone and reducing the Fed's balance sheet will be enough to reduce inflation. Price stability is the Fed's objective. So much more of the money printing is happening outside the Fed. Don't get me wrong, the Fed has printed a ton of money in recent years. And despite quantitative tightening, the U.S. government is still deficit spending. Someone will need to buy all of that debt. In fact, the current spending bill is scheduled to expire on Friday this week. Congress and the Senate are working overtime to avert a government shutdown. And the House majority will change in January as a result of the midterm election. At the same time as Jay Powell was announcing another half percent interest rate increase, the House on Wednesday passed a one-week government funding measure to give congressional negotiators time to complete and pass a full-year omnibus spending bill, overcoming opposition from Republicans who want to postpone the budget discussion until next year when they will actually have control of the House. The fact is, the U.S. government is still spending well above its means. In fact, the deficit was $250 billion last month. As interest rates increase, so too does the deficit. And despite all the rhetoric about wanting to stamp out inflation, the government's still spending money like drunken sailors at a time when we are not in crisis. The economy's supposed to be strong. What's going to happen when we actually get into crisis? Where's the money going to come from from that? Well, we already know the answer to that. We saw what happened during the pandemic. But this is not just a U.S.-only phenomenon. The Bank of England also increased their interest rate yesterday by 50 basis points, and the Bank of Canada raised its benchmark rate by 50 basis points last week to 4.25%. It seems that all three of these central banks are using the same playbook from the Federal Reserve. But the market doesn't seem to agree with the Fed. We have a massive yield curve inversion where short-term rates are much higher than long-term rates. I listened to the entire press conference and Jay Powell repeated language from previous meetings that focused on fighting inflation. He reiterated that the job market is strong and that the service sector represents continued inflationary pressure. There's plenty of economic indicators that suggest economic slowdown and indeed falling prices are upon us in a number of areas. It's almost as if the analysts at the Fed are selectively choosing only the data that fits the chosen narrative. If you look at exports from China to the U.S., they are down 25% compared with this time last year. And yes, China has slowed due to their zero-COVID policy. But we also have elevated inventories in the U.S., which are responsible for a significant collapse in factory demand. Prices for shipping containers have fallen drastically, and we're now below $1,500 for container shipping from China to the west coast of the United States. We actually have a glut of container ships when last year there was supposedly a shortage. Now, I would argue that even last year, we actually did not have a shortage of ships. We had more than enough ships. They were just being utilized inefficiently because of the congestion in the ports. Well, the latest CPI metrics announced on Tuesday this week show a significant slowing of inflation. But it's hard to tell when you merely look at the headline summary number. Part of the problem is the lag in reporting. The CPI metric includes an imputed number for housing called owner equivalent rent, which is designed to mimic the rent that would have been paid if homeowners did not own their own home. 
the Bureau of Labor and Statistics makes up a number for rent that would have been paid if you were a tenant. They include that number in the GDP calculation, even though no money changed hands between you, the tenant, and yourself, the landlord. But the owner equivalent rent is increasing even though real estate prices are falling. The increase we're seeing in the owner equivalent rent is the result of an 18-month lag. We're seeing rising real estate prices and rising rents from 2021 being reflected in this month's number, even though rents are falling broadly and even though purchase prices are falling broadly. Now, I know what you're thinking. These folks at the Fed have spent a lifetime studying the economy. They're PhDs from the best universities, and they're experts. Who are you, Victor, to be criticizing the economists at the Fed? Well, the thesis for my criticism is simple. How can the Fed make decisions that affect the real world when their metrics are so abstracted from reality? They say the labor market is strong, but they're ignoring the household data and only looking at the establishment metric when they look at that number. There are two metrics when they measure employment, and they're only looking at one of them. You're supposed to look at both. The low unemployment rate and the number of open positions points to a continued shortage of workers. And at the same time, Jay Powell mentioned in the press conference that there's nearly 4 million fewer people in the workforce, and this tight market is putting pressure on salaries. And finally, Jay Powell reiterated the same answer to multiple questions in the press conference. He does not see anything pointing to interest rate decreases at any time in 2023. The U.S. government is the largest single debtor of all. The Treasury Department announced the federal budget deficit for the last month alone was a whopping $248.5 billion. That's almost $250 billion a month. And it was not a one-time anomaly either. The deficit over the past six months from June to November totals $1.3 trillion, an average monthly deficit of more than $200 billion. And all of this deficit spending adds to the national debt, which eventually needs to be repaid. Whenever the Treasury Department borrows money to pay for these outrageous deficits, they do so by issuing bonds. And these bonds are sold to investors, with terms ranging from 28 days all the way up to 30 years. The average maturity for U.S. government debt is about five years. This means that every year, roughly 20% of the U.S. debt matures and rolls over, and it needs to be repaid. And as interest rates have increased, the cost of that debt has ballooned in a significant way. It's up 16 times from what it was only two years ago. The only pathway to repaying that amount of debt is to inflate away the currency and to use the hidden tax of inflation to devalue the debt into oblivion. As you think about that, have an awesome rest of your day. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.